Hello. 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 Is this thing on? Is this? Oh, sorry. That's a different. This is supposed to be Hello. Hello. Is this? Uh... Is this uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Donald uh, W.S. Uh, J. Uh, Schaffner? No J. No J? No John? No, but it's a W. There's a w, a w in there. There's a W in there. Doctor, I don't want uh, you to Don- confuse me with that other guy. Oh, the other Donald. Yeah, I have like nine Donald Schaffners in my Skype contact list. <laughs> it's crazy. It's, I mean, so it's, I, it's why I, I just refer to you. I tell, I tell people it's time for me to do my podcast with W now. W. 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 Um, <laughs> uh, hey, it's, it's your birthday. It is. Um, happy what, birthday. What a, thanks. You're welcome. I, I, I say I that in I all get, sincerity. I, no, thank you. I, I didn't get what I wanted. Oh. Did you want um, – uh, let's, let's not even talk about it. Did you? Are we going to spend the whole the whole episode not talking about the election? Yeah, we're going to spend <laughs> – this is not an election podcast. Um did you get a Did you get a MacBook Pro for your birthday? I, uh, I God, what I need is a new microphone stand. I am uh, I am sorry oh. if my audio sounds weird. I'm not. I'm trying to get my microphone so it stays in front of my mouth. Um, all right. Well, we're just going to do that. All right. Um, yeah. So I ordered a new MacBook Pro for myself, um, but, but of course they are not uh, currently available. Um, so I am having it shipped to my local Apple store. Uh, oh, and where, when's where the, I will collect when are you it? Um, it up? December twentieth. What? Yeah. Do they have them at the local Apple stores now? Not, like not like, yet. No, they have the they have the MacBook Twos, um, the MacBook Pro Twos, the the two port um, thingamabobbers with the escape. Actually, it's the, I think uh, I think what people are calling it is the MacBook Escape, <laughs> the one with the actual escape key. Um, uh, I think I think the, I think those are available at the store. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, no, the, the nothing is available now, and uh, they're yeah they're shipping, uh, and and people are getting them in many weeks hence. So so the Mac you, you're talking about the one that has an escape key, right? With the two uh, USB C ports, but that's not gotcha. what I got myself. I got myself uh, like fully loaded, maxed out, whopping big computer because <sighs> I need a new computer and. I might as well get a good one. So, and how many USB to C uh, R ports do you have? All of them. I have all, <laughs> all the, the best ports. ports. All the best ports. I have four. 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 four uh, I have uh, Cape Town. I have uh, Baltimore. Um, all the best ports. All the best uh, ports. All, even the. Uh, does it have all of the uh, French uh, red red ports? I like a tawny like the, port myself. A tawny, like a, ta- a tawny port. I like. Uh, have you been to Portsmouth, uh, Maine? I've been to Portland. Oh, I've been to Portland too. It's the land of the ports. So many, so many ports. It's the opposite of of my MacBook. That's. I, I don't know if, if Portland's ever been described as, as that. It's like it's like the opposite of a MacBook, like uh, Windows three, uh, something that's running Windows three one one, three eleven. Whatever that was called. Um, all right, that's enough. Uh, it's enough nerd talk. <laughs> How about you? Are you get you are you getting a new uh, laptop? No, I'm not. I've decided against it. Mm. Uh, so, so what I've investigated, uh, what, what I'm going to do is wait for the next MacBook update because um, I really like my really really thin mm. MacBook, mm-hmm. and um, I am likely going to retire the 27-inch Thunderbolt displays that I have 
um, when that happens because now I have to use a MacBook Air with these Thunderbolt displays because of the um, because the MacBook uh, version that I have the it doesn't have USB C Thunderbolt so mm-hmm. it doesn't like it, all that stuff right so it's got to go out to an HDMI cable mm. and all that garbage. So my yeah. beautiful, lovely displays that I love can only work with my MacBook Air. Um, but I want I want thinness and I want small screen for mm. my laptop. Mm. That's that's my goal. So no, I've mm. decided against it. And, but the reason why I was asking is I want to go lift one up. And, and they are I, – I did the comparison on the Mac uh, website of what I like, what I have. And what the pros are, and it's it's like double the weight, Don, and and it's like an extra like two 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 and a half millimeter thick. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and I that's haven't. What it's come down to? That's what it's come down to. For yeah, me. I haven't. I haven't compared the weight of the new uh, MacBook Pros to my current MacBook. Um, but I do remember when I went. So I went from a 13 inch MacBook to this 15 inch MacBook Pro. And it was actually lighter um, because the the thirteen inch MacBook was the one with the uh, that still has the had the uh, had a spinning hard disk but also had a CD drive, um, right, or DVD drive, and uh, the new one obviously did, uh, the new one at the time which is now four years old did not. So I haven't compared the weights, but uh, yeah, I mean I decided so I just have one machine uh, which is like it's my laptop and it's also my desktop machine which I also hooked up. To, hooked to uh, uh, external display, and um, I just I just need I need power, Ben. Um, I need something that can run more mod- power. Yeah, more power. Um, uh, models and simulations and stuff like that. So, yeah. So that's that's what I decided to go with. Um, I, I'm I'm thinking now about getting um, one of these new. Uh, displays like a 4K or 5K display. Unfortunately, Apple does not make one, so I'm stuck with uh, whatever the one that Apple is uh, selling slash recommending. That's uh, that's from that's not from Apple. Um, but uh, but again, I haven't really decided on that. And also, I kind of want to see if the new if my new machine will be able to drive my old displays. But um, I haven't really investigated that to see what is in fact possible. Um, but right, I susp- right. obviously whatever, whatever it is, it's going to need a dongle. So, um, yeah, I'm expecting to buy a bunch of dongles, but not until I, I sort of get everything in front of me and then I'm going to work through it. So get the dongles, get the dongles going. Um, I, so to, just to circle back on, I, I pulled up the comparison of the MacBook that I have and then the MacBook pro 13 inch, which is as big as I would want to go. And the MacBook I have is 2.03 pounds, and the Pro 13 inches 3.02 pounds. I'm uh, I'm I'm taking off a pound mm, here, mm-hmm. and it goes from a thickness of 0.14 inches, which is on the thin end, to 0.52 inches, where uh, the 13 inch is a standard 0.59 inch. And I'm, I just don't want I don't want the thickness and the poundage. Mm-hmm, I understand. So, but I also don't have to do simulations and stuff. All yeah. I have to do is you guys just got to I mean, type. <laughs> I just well, just Facebook. I mean, I do I do a little bit of Twitter, a little bit of Facebook. Sometimes, uh, sometimes I do it. Uh, maybe maybe go to pin, switch over to Pinterest, and so I can do that all on my MacBook. And you know that the you can't get the Kanye Gold in the MacBook Pro. You can only get it in space gray and silver. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. I saw that. So so I'm anyway. That's. It's where, it's where things are at. What did you get? Did you go sp- Space Gray? 
I did. I went. I went uh, space gray yeah, I, because uh, why not? And it was the default. Yes. It was the default choice on the website. And I thought, yeah, we'll mix it up. We'll go. We'll go. We'll go something different. Yep. And and my answer to that is, of course you did, because space gray is awesome. <laughs> yeah, I I uh, I don't know. I'm I'm uh, I'm 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 not sure. But I mean, silver's nice, and I've had the silver various incarnations of silver. Max for for some time since I made the switch to the Mac world, so I like I like I like silver. It's a nice color, but uh, but yeah, I went with space gray, and we'll see how that goes. Oh, in in related um, Apple news, the um, the iPad um, Air two that I left on an airplane has actually showed up. What? Okay. Whoa! You left an Air two on an airplane, and uh, someone gave it back to you? Well, I reported it to United, and 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 eventually it showed up in their warehouse, and um, like a month uh, month. Plus, later uh, they inform me of this. So, oh my gosh! So, how are you going to get it back? Or yeah, is- I've, I've I've already I used that as an excuse to get a new Air. I mean, a new um, what do you call it? The uh, MacBook Pro. So I, I have a new or not? God, I, why, What is wrong with the names? Um, I, I a new iPad Pro. It's so oh, confusing, yeah. Ben. I got I got the smaller iPad Pro, which is the normal size of an a size of a normal iPad, okay? Not the massive one. Not the big one, right? So I got that. I got that, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna um, sell this one to the internet, um, and I'll be done with it. Um, but anyway, I'm glad I got it back because uh, that's like a big chunk of change to uh, to leave on an airplane because I'm an idiot. So, yeah. Where'd it go? Where'd it go, Don? Yeah. <laughs> um. I don't have a pro. I've got an Air. I like my Air. I got two. I got I got an Air Mini. I think it's called, mm-hmm. and an Air not Mini Maxi. Like a never normal Air. Yeah, um, I I really liked my uh, my iPad Air too. It was it was it was a really nice a really nice iPad. I really like it a lot. And I missed it like right away, so I really had to oh, yeah. get another one because that's like I do all my manuscript reviews uh, on that. And uh, yeah, it's just really you know it's it's my it's a, it's a great size device for you know for using on an airplane or or leaving on an airplane because it slides right into that uh, uh, you know seat pocket right in there just right down they should should put that right on the like on one of those commercials it's just like you know whatever whatever the you know maybe it's a Coldplay songs playing as uh, you see multiple people um, just slip their iPads into the back of a um, a seat pocket in a plane and then get up and leave. <laughs> yeah, that's, that would be, that would be a great, uh, great marketing tool. And, yeah. And then it's so Chris small Mar- and light that you will forget it. You'll forget it. You'll put it there and you won't even know that you're not missing it. Yeah. I, oh. I noticed, I noticed I was missing it like almost right away. I, it was when I was flying back from somewhere and I was changing planes in Houston and I realized basically as soon as I got into the lounge and it was like too late to go back because I had I would have if I had gone back to try to find it I would have missed my flight. And oh. so at that point I immediately went on the United website and reported it missing and then they told me for a month plus, yeah, we still haven't found it. We still haven't found it and then all of a sudden today got a message saying, "Hey, we might have your iPad. Can you tell us the serial number?" And wow. uh, and then I and then I I was so impressed with myself. I actually could find the serial. I went through I just have this wonderful uh, tool which I will take a minute to uh, to to um, uh, promote here. Great application called Huda Spot. 
who to spot and who to spot uh, searches your hard disk. And so I typed in uh, iPad Air 2 and then I searched. I knew I figured I probably had a PDF. I made a PDF of the receipt of it and uh, searched my hard disk and I found it and I I copied the serial number and sent it off to the nice person at United and lo and behold, it was mine. So that was, that wow. was good. I, that's incredible. Um, yeah, I don't know how I would approve it was mine without knowing the serial number, but yeah. Oh, who to spot? I didn't even know the, the I'm, I'm taking a look at who to spot powerful yeah. file search for the Mac. Yeah. It's willing we'll to it in show notes. It's a great piece of software. It allows you all kinds of customization. It saves my ass so many times. I mean, I suppose I could do the same thing with Spotlight, but I have just, uh, I don't know the, the, my, this who to spot works the way my brain works. Um, so you know, I really like it. <laughs> There's a joke in there somewhere. Somewhere. There's somewhere I can't. I can't fish it out. I'm gonna have to hoot a spot for the joke. Uh, <laughs> hey, ha <laughs> um, So uh, we got some. We got some stuff to talk about. I uh, I was in Dubai. Um, yeah, I was you in, know, it's so was, funny because I, 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 I didn't know you were going to Dubai, but you were tweeting about France, and I was being snarky and tweeting back to you, and uh, I made an offhand comment to my graduate student how um, it trans- the, the internet translated ooh-la-la into Haitian Creole, and my, <laughs> my graduate student uh, that I was telling this joke to is Haitian, and she's like, what is he doing in France? And I'm like, I really don't know, and then later on, it's like, oh, he was in France because he was going to Dubai, and uh, that's, that's where he changed planes, so I figured it all out it, eventually. It, it was, it was, yeah. I was, I was in France for uh, uh, a couple of mornings. Uh, one morning on my way there, one morning on my way back. I got to eat a baguette. Uh, I ate a lot of cheese. Um, did you I, drink champagne? I, I did not have champagne. I'm, you know, I don't, I don't like to drink so much when I when I fly, because um, I get like I, I, I leave my iPad Air. Huh. Uh, I, actually, no, I um, I left a I had I had a couple of beers one time. Uh, on a flight from Denver to uh, Toronto, and I left my um, passport in the back of the um, seat back, and then losing a passport oh. was, it was not good. We and we've talked about that. I think yeah, that is not yeah. good. No, it took like months to get off a list, and, um, and and then then I got I got this like mark of the demon in my next passport saying this passport replaces a lost or stolen passport. Um, and so like ask this person multiple questions in secondary screening. It didn't say that second part, but, but it was that's applied. what happened. Yeah. yeah. That's what happened for a while. Um, and then, uh, but I can trace it directly to, um, maybe, uh, two beers at a Chili's at the Denver airport and then maybe two or three more beers on the flight. And then, uh, that was probably two or three more beers, uh, too many when it came yep. to, um, tracking my passport, uh, and then trying to enter, enter in, to a country without a passport, so it was also exciting. Um, yeah, and in I, fact, sometimes impossible. <laughs> yeah, and so fortunately, they believed me that I was Canadian, and I was <laughs> yeah. So so anyway, it was uh, yeah. So I, I try to you know you learn from your mistakes. You set set some rules, set some uh, some some internal policies, and then uh, there you go. Um. So yeah, so I went to went to Dubai. had a had a really nice, very very quick trip. Uh, I, I was gone uh, Wednesday through Monday. Uh, uh, taught a workshop with uh, a friend of the show and, and friend uh, Monpreet Singh, 
who's uh, a, a uh, right now is an associate professor up there at uh, Purdue, but he's leaving that position in January. He'll be starting uh, at the University of Georgia. So, uh, oh, excellent! We, Congratulations to yeah. him. Yeah. So, so anyway, we we hung out for a couple of days. It was really cool. I got to meet his family. Um, his parents, who uh, he's from from India, he was born in India. His parents uh, still live in India, and they uh, came and met him in Dubai because it was a short uh, trip. And then his wife and his daughter traveled with them, and so did his in laws. So I had this really nice uh, dinner and relaxing time uh, with the with the Singh with the Singh family and 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 co and uh, and in laws. Nice and and me. It was really cool. Uh, yeah. So we taught. I taught about. Um, we, we taught a whole course on retail validation and verification of uh, CCPs for specialized processes. Um, pretty much all retail, like groceries or you know, restaurant stuff, a few processing. But it was really about the uh, ins and outs of, okay, so you do something. Why are your parameters set the way they are? And how do you know that? And, and what if you're starting with something that's published in the literature, what are you looking for? And if you're trying to do something that's not already been published and uh, there's a valid recipe or valid steps for, then how would you work with the laboratory to go ahead and validate it and, and all that kind of stuff? Cool. It was cool. It was good. Yeah, it really, we had a really good time. Um, and then, uh, I, you know what? You know what we're doing right now, Don? What I would just spent like uh, half an hour planning. You probably don't know, but I'm going to tell you. Yeah, tell uh, me, next tell me. next next weekend, uh, uh, November nineteenth is um, what is known uh, affectionately uh, in in these parts of the world as North Carolina State Ag Day at uh, the NC State football game, and we are putting together. Um, in a, an intervention uh, for thermometer use at uh, temporary events. Nice. And yeah, so so we got we got this thing. I, I like have sold multiple people on this idea, and maybe foolishly on their part. But we uh, we have a big tent uh, set up in in right outside of our football stadium, and we will be. Um, uh, putting uh, or giving away irradiated hamburgers um, for people to, to eat. And as they stand in line for these irradiated hamburgers, they will be um, uh, doing some hands-on learning about uh, how to use a thermometer and the difference between um, thermometer use and color change and then hand-washing and cross-contamination, um, all in context of uh, grilling in a, uh, on, a, on a grill. And uh, we're giving away a bunch of thermometers, and then we're going to do some uh, some research with this group uh, later on to see if they, you know, uh, if putting them through this uh, this temporary event set up at a at a football game actually changes uh, changes their behaviors. Uh, you know, are they more if they spend ten minutes with us and then get a free burger, are they more likely to use a thermometer down the road? That, that's fascinating and also slightly ironic. You, you do realize the irony of if you're serving people irradiated hamburgers, they don't actually need to use a thermometer I, on those irradiated hamburgers, right? I, I, I do. <laughs> and, and so so let me tell you why we, why we chose this. So the what, what we've got are – I'm looking at this on my whiteboard right now. We've got four stations, and people are going to go in a, on an outside – um, pathway around these four stations. And three of these stations are grills where we're grilling non-irradiated burgers, just like a normal um, ground beef patty that you would get at um, 
you know, that you would make at home. But because of the way that we set this up and we wanted to entice people to come through, we wanted to give them away burgers. We just didn't want to give away the burgers that they were cooking and practicing on. And we also didn't want to get into a situation where we're giving away burgers and maybe we get like slammed with many people and it were, you know, we, we make some poor uh, risk management decisions by rushing them off the grill and not temping them all. So we decided to go out and buy irradiated burgers and then tell people about, you know, this is another option of, of food safety management in your home is, you know, here, here's how to use a thermometer. Here's how to not cross contaminate, but you can choose to further reduce your risk by, uh, by buying irradiated uh, burgers as well. So we, we're really trying to engage with like this whole, you know, the, the all all of it um and we also didn't want to make people sick at a temporary event where we were serving burgers around food safety because that would um that would be even more ironic yeah, exactly exactly good well i figured i figured there was some sort of a risk management uh uh backstory there so that's good i think i think yeah that, that sounds really really interesting on our next podcast i'll update you on how it went um and uh i'm i'm, I'm really pumped about it it's like I, I I see this. The, the reason why we're doing it is as a um, a model uh, potentially that others could use. Like because you know these events happen all over the place, and people are always looking th- for things to do. On, you know, on Food Safety Month, and we've talked about how I hate Food Safety Month, um, but p- other people don't, and they want to you know go to a fair uh, in, in the fall and, and you know give away food safety information. And so what what we've what we're trying to test is. Okay, give away food safety information is great, but can I, like, maybe if I, in a two to three minute lesson, which they don't know it's going to be a lesson, can I actually show somebody how to use a thermometer and why putting it into different parts in the burger matters and, you know, demonstrating cold spots and um, looking at, you know, how to read temperatures uh, and then, you know, all the, all the kind of stuff that we talk about, can I, can, can we do it in a hands-on way? Um, in these in these events, and then be more compelling than just handing out a brochure. So that's what we're what we're trying to test, um, and, and see if something like this with a we're you know collect a little data on self-reported behaviors pre, and then look at afterwards uh, after being exposed to this um, uh, you know, this intervention. So, and then uh, maybe maybe if it works, other people might do it, and if it doesn't work, maybe other people will learn from our mistakes. Cool. Well, that's yeah, and I think that that's that's a that's certainly a noble uh, a noble thing. And yeah, I mean the fact that you can try to do education in a short time period like that, I think uh, you know that's that's a that's a unique challenge. And uh, yeah, I, I'm, I look forward to hearing more about it. And we'll see how it goes. Uh, I, I want to. Um, it's I, I like getting out there and doing like dirty stuff like this. <laughs> like dirty, I mean like not. Um, you know, I don't know. It's it, it can get messy when because who knows I mean truthfully we uh, we might end up in a deluge of a downpour and uh, trying to do this uh, with a whole bunch of rain maybe none of it works and that's uh, that's how the real wor- world uh, works so cool yeah yeah I'm gonna cool. we're, I'm looking forward to that cool uh, what well, else what, is, what you got going on well you know I know I know you don't you want to do a show about food safety and it's two days it's two days after the election um so we don't have to talk about the election but what i want i do want to do is i want to point our readers towards uh an episode of the talk show which is an uh, n- nominally a show about 
um, Apple technology um, hosted by uh, John Gruber. And John uh, released a special episode yesterday uh, that he recorded with uh, Merlin Mann, a friend of this podcast and, and, and former uh, and, a, and a past guest on this podcast, Merlin Mann. And they they talk about the election. Um, and it was I found it to be. I don't know. Cathartic is not the right word, but it was the kind of it was what I needed. And so I uh, about two hours long. I just spent the better part of uh, the day uh, yesterday and today in my in my free podcast listening time listening to this. And uh, I would I would recommend it as uh, as two uh, as we have a podcast and and we are two privileged uh, white guys and they have they did a podcast and they're two uh, privileged white guys uh, I think it's uh, it might resonate with uh, with our audience so uh, we don't we don't have to we don't have to talk about the election um, but uh, I do want to point people towards that that is uh, talk show episode one seventy two so uh, hi- well, highly recommended if you like me are are trying to figure out. Uh, um, uh, your your thoughts on the election and how to process what happened. I'm, I'm gonna yeah, I, I will check that out. I will. I think we can talk a little bit about the election if we want to, right? Yeah. Well, the FDA is going to be eliminated now, right? <laughs> Why? Well, yeah. So we got there, there's yeah there's that um, there's it, uh, it, uh, this this is my my I, I, I like I like the news, Don. Mm. I'm a news I'm a news guy. You like the news? Yeah. Like, 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 yeah. like I could, the I could take happen. it or leave it, but <laughs> I like, I like that. Um, I like to be in the know. I don't know why I just get excited about these, uh, current events and, and I'm not what, what, what I, what I experienced on Tuesday night watching the returns come in. Um, I, I had not really experienced anything quite like it before. And, and it has, uh, um, yeah, you know, forced me to look at things, uh, uh, you know, differently. And, and I think that there's a lot of uncertainty and, uh, and you know what, uh, Wednesday uh, was over, right? Like that was the day after the election. Um, and, and we still, we all were, uh, we all still were alive. It wasn't the, uh, uh, the last days or, uh, the apocalypse. And it looks like, I mean, we're, we're at three, uh, well, not quite to almost two o'clock on Thursday. I think we might make it through Thursday. <laughs> And I think I think a day by day, hour by hour approach is <laughs> is probably the right approach. Yeah, well, that's what I'm. I'm that's where that's pretty much how I'm how I'm taking it. Um, and uh, it's yeah. Uh, this the, there are lots of th- I, Don. Did you know that my my undergraduate uh, degree that I had uh, from the University of, of Guelph uh, is uh, in molecular biology and genetics. Did I, I've told I, you that before. I think I did know that. Yes. Did you know that, that I had a, a minor in, in that degree that was not molecular biology or genetics or microbiology, but it was political science. Whoa. You just yeah. blew my mind. I did. I did. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a student of the, of the world of politics. I must, I, 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 um, I did. I did some. I don't know if I told you all this stuff on my like history. I'm like, uh, uh, all right. So well, I, knew, I knew you had a circuitous path to Doug's lab, and I did know that. So, uh, but I did not I did, know. I did. I did not know about this uh, political background of yours. Yeah. So, so when I was in high school, um, I, 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 I was, I was extreme. I'm, I, you know, I'm. This is why I like the, the like the news. I've always been interested in. Um, the system in in democracy and then non democracy systems and and just everything that goes with the 
um, running of a, of a country or an organization or, or whatever. And, um, I, uh, I don't know, I was like 15 or 16 years old and there were, um, budget cuts within our province, uh, to education and the, you know, um, the, um, Ontario, uh, teachers, uh, are, which my father was one of them, uh, were extremely politically active and, and would, would use, um, through their union, a lot of work to rule and sort of labor stuff. And, um, anytime that there was contracts with the province or with the school boards, there, there was a lot of like, okay, here's we're, we're not, we're going to use this as negotiation tactic. And, um, we, we had a premier at the time, uh, his name was Mike Harris, who was, uh, a, you know, a conservative, uh, right-wing premier. And, and he sort of, uh, had some policies that I, I didn't agree with as a 15 year old. And, um, and then I got involved at the local level with the trustees. And so I don't know, I don't think they're called that here, but you know, there, there are people that are elected here that oversee the school districts, right? Do you have that in, in the, in the great state of New Jersey? Yeah. They, the they, we call them the school board. The school board, okay, and they're elected, right? Like they're yes. You run for school board, okay? So, so we we also have that in, in Ontario, and um, I uh, I, I kind of got it in my head that that was all well and good, but in any of their decision making, there wasn't any student representation, and so over a, a, a I don't know a year period um, with with a whole bunch of other people. I organized um, like a, a process on how to get some student representation, and worked with the um, with, with the school board itself and the trustees. And some, you know, I, I would show up at their meetings and because they were open, and get on their agenda and present some stuff. And and at the end of it, um, we we created a um, like a student trustee that was elected by the uh, high school students uh, across the school board. And then I, my legacy in that was that I, that was completed as I completed high school, and that that there is still a student trustee at the now. I don't know uh, what Pine Ridge School Board. It was the Northumberland uh, School Board uh, back when I was there, but but that got me like I I, I really um, I, I don't know like that was that that was something that that made a mark on as an individual who felt underrepresented uh, in decision making. There was a system that I could get become part of um, to maybe get some uh, some representation. And, um, and, and through that, that whole process, I got to learn about, um, leadership and organizing and community organizing and, um, finding, uh, people in other schools who I didn't know that also had similar concerns and, and negotiating what this would look like with elected officials and, and then just like having it happen. And it was, I mean, I, I, um, I was able to use it as uh, a way to get out of class a lot of the time, um, which also is one of the things that I tried to do as much as possible in, in high school, get out of class for legitimate reasons. Uh, and uh, I did like a whole, I, I took a, uh, so we, we had a, uh, when I was in high school, there were 13 grades in Ontario. Uh, the 13th grade was the Ontario academic credits. Um, and so my, uh, there was an, an OAC class, uh, on, in politics. And I took that class in my, um, great, you know, 12th grade year. 
uh, and uh, made this stud like this thing that I did over a semester uh, was was pretty much what I did for that whole class and and you know learned about politics and stuff but but then really focused on how do you how do you actually um, create some sort of change in, in the process um, and so I all of that and I've I've been so um, it's kind of why I'm like interested in policy stuff uh, as it relates to food safety. And the uh, why I why I like focusing on evidence based and risk based and science based stuff uh, as it relates to when we when we create news or news when we create rules um, that this is all like a negotiation and we all have a you know a chance in in systems to to make change and I, that's why I like I mean the election things and. Uh, the, the whole political system, but but especially the the, the electioning, electioneering, or whatever the the uh, term is, I'm trying to find um, is is extremely interesting. And I and, and truthfully, I've not felt emotionally like I did on uh, on Tuesday, where there there I think was a blind spot in everything that I had investigated and read about how I thought the outcome was going to happen and how it actually happened. And, and, and it, it, there, following things over the last 18 months, um, I knew that there was, uh, a lot of, um, anger backlash at, 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 at the political system. And, and I, I didn't realize how much of it, uh, I, I don't know, or maybe I did, but I don't, I don't know. Anyways, it's like, I, I'm I'm having a hard time articulating my my feelings. I just felt different Tuesday than I had than I can remember. <laughs> yeah, no, th- and thanks thanks for for sharing that. And yeah, and I think for whatever whatever the next four years is going to be like, uh, the voters have spoken right, and there are people out there without a doubt uh, that that are hurting right. And I ju- I just worry that the the the, the path that we're going to take as a country is going to cause a lot more hurt to a lot more people um, before mm-hmm. we get better. But, but I mean, this is what we're the situation we're in and, you know, we're, we're going to, we got to move forward from where we are, whether we like where we are or not. So, but, uh, but yeah, so thanks. I, I, again, I didn't, I don't want to make this, I, I do, I do appreciate the story that you told. Oh, and that's another thing too, just to come back to this episode of the talk show. Um, so well, so first of all, Gruber's a little bit drunk, which which is makes it hilarious. Um, and then awesome. Merlin tries to help with the ad reads, which is fantastic. But but they both <laughs> they both and I know and this this is where so I often think of John Gruber as being um, uh, the Doug Powell of the Apple world, or Doug Powell is the John Gruber of the food safety world. Um, uh, because <laughs> and I learned this from you and from Doug and and John and Merlin talked about this as well as about stories right and and whether you like what he had to say or not there was a story somewhere in what Trump was telling and people bought into that story right and so stories are important and they're they're important in telling people about food safety they're apparent they're apparently important in politics and uh yeah so so thank you for thank you for for sharing that that background with me uh thank you for letting me promote uh the talk show and this particular episode that was that was so helpful to me and and we can we can talk about food safety now i just uh, i just i didn't want to uh i didn't want to let it go uh unmentioned so because i and i yeah. know i know probably 
uh, many of our, our listeners also are probably share our political views, but even if they don't, um, um, you know, I felt like it would be, it's kind of the elephant in the room today, at least in, in my mind, maybe, and maybe more so yesterday, but certainly today it's still on my mind. Absolutely. And it, it, it's, um, it's an important, I mean, I, I'm going to be trite and understated. It was an important day. <laughs> we yes. can't, we can't like skim over that. Right. Yes. Like, like we, we have to, we have to note these important days in our lives. And that was an important day. And, that, and, that, and, and yes. And, and today is an important day too, Ben. It is because it's your birthday, but you know who else is celebrating today? Uh, no, I, I don't. I don't think I do. I don't. I, don't, I can't even guess who. Well, Whom? Whom else is celebrating? There, there is an entity that is two hundred and fifty years old today. Um, I'll give you. I'll give you another small hint. It's the place I'm employed. <laughs> oh, Rutgers. Rutgers. Or. And we, we, yes. re- revolutionary for 250 years apparently is the tagline. So um, we will. Uh, we well, will. You, I, I, I think you should maybe try and complete that revolution. Like there's, I guess it's you're dragging it out, Don. <laughs> We're still revolting today. Oh my God! Yes, Rutgers is still oh. revolting today. Uh, yes. Um, so uh, anyway, the uh, today uh, Rutgers is 250 years old. I was astounded to learn that uh, Rutgers University and I both have the same birthday. Um, uh, and we will link to the uh, Rutgers 250 website. Uh, it, it is a it, the history of Rutgers is a very long and interesting history, and, and we don't. Uh, I don't want to get into it on the podcast, but we started as a uh, like a uh, a school for teaching uh, Dutch ministers, I think, if I if I've got that if I've got that right. So um, anyway, and 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 we've evolved over the years, and uh, yeah. So and 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 in large measure, we are what we are today, uh, thanks to the Agricultural Experiment Station and the Ag Experiment Station's commitment to research. So um, yeah, we started off uh, quite as quite a different entity, but uh, we've come uh, we've come along way, uh, 250 years. Oh, and by the way, um, the uh, Empire State Building is going to be Scarlet, uh, Rutgers Scarlet oh. tonight. So um, uh, the, not, not, not because of the end times and the apocalypse, okay, which some people <laughs> might think, um, but, but it's red for uh, Rutgers Red. So there you go. Is this, it, it's not Scarlet with blood, is it? It's just, it will uh, just be no, a Scarlet, Scarlet with the uh, Scarlet uh, Knights and the Scarlet color, uh, Rutgers Red, uh, which we call Scarlet, yes. Oh, oh one, wonderful. I was trying to uh, quickly type and figure out what might be 250 years <laughs> what old. What did you find? Well, I found. And so this is the, so. Let me go back through how I did that. I just typed into Google "250 years old." Excellent. And the what? What is the first thing that pops up? Lee Ching Yuan, who was rumored to be 256 years old, dying in 1933. Have you heard of this man? I, I have not. I'm just Googling him right now. Um, uh, he's a Chinese herbalist, a martial artist, and a tactical advisor. Um, yeah. And so I have to say out- that Rutgers, Rutgers uh, 250 people are leaving money on the table if, uh, if that's the first result in Google. I, I'm ashamed of them that they aren't the first result in Google today. No, it's just – and it's uh, – there's – my favorite is that I, I stumbled upon a Snopes article uh, on this. <laughs> With the uh, very clear X that says unproven, 
Really? Uh, so yeah, really. Yeah, there's, just, there's, uh, that, I, I find that startling that that it's unproven that there was a, a 250 old year old uh, Chinese man. I, well, well, my favorite that who who died in 1933. Yeah. My favorite part is that it doesn't say false, like right. some of the Snopes does. It's just unproven. We're not sure. Um, it is uh, where it was the okay. Uh, my fa- <laughs> um, let me read a little bit from the Snopes. Uh, <laughs> Li Qingyuan is rumored to have lived 256 years, dying in 1933. Groups in the internet attribute his longevity to his herbalist diet, but I find this difficult to believe, and I feel his age is attributed to a clerical error marking his birth. Uh, <laughs> that yes. might that might be and, uh, Occam's razor. Yes. <laughs> um. Where was my other favorite thing where someone says it's pretty unlikely that he outlived? Oh, yeah. Um, It is highly improbable that he managed to exceed that milestone, the longest confirmed human lifespan of 120 years, by as much as 61 to 110 percent, as claimed in 20th century accounts of his passing. I would say that's true. It's it's, uh, highly improbable. Um, so anyway, also uh, congratulations, Li Ching Yuan, on a uh, uh, 256 uh, um, year milestone rumored uh, uh, when that you met um, almost uh, 90 years ago. Yes, and and I think we should all endeavor to follow his advice, which is also quoted in the Snopes article: to keep a quiet heart, sit like a tortoise, walk sprightly like a pigeon, and sleep like a dog. Well, and I will, I will do that. I will thank, thank. <laughs> sleep like a dog. Thank you, man. Sleep. Like, I'm gonna sleep like dogs. Lie, sleep with dogs. Lying with the dogs. I think that's from a, one of your New Jersey mafia movies. I think if you uh, lie down with dogs, you get up with fleas. I think that's what you're thinking of. Uh, maybe it could be. I, I think. Oh, sleep uh, with the fishes. Luca, maybe you're thinking of sleeping with the fishes. Luca Brazzi. Yeah, I think Luca <laughs> Brazzi sleeps with the fishes. <laughs> oh, awesome! Awesome. Uh, should we, uh, oh, oh, I got something. I got something for you before we move on. All right. Guess, guess what's going to happen between now and the next, uh, podcast. I'm going to go to a concert. I'm going to oh go see. Oh my God, see... is it a rock concert? It's a rock concert. It is the, um, maybe it's in the top five greatest Canadian bands that, that no one's ever heard of except for Merlin Mann. <laughs> I'm going to see Sloan. Sloan. Sloan is coming. They're coming to North Carolina again. They're playing a, a place called uh, the Cat's Cradle, and it's exciting because they're playing the back room, which means it's exclusive. And it means, like, because they're not known, no one goes to see them except for me. And I'm taking the kids. We're all going. I got. I just bought them some uh, some nice foam earphones so their uh, ears don't explode um, while we go see our rock and roll show because this is our these these are my kids' favorite band now. Cool. They used to love Very the cool. Bare Naked Ladies. Now they love love Sloan, and so uh, yeah, I'm really excited. This is we uh, next Wednesday night, November 16th. So if anybody's uh, in the uh, Raleigh Durham area wants to go see a really good uh, rock and roll show, go go check out Sloan. Um, but they uh, um, the show starts at nine, and my children are usually asleep by nine. Yeah, so. So we're going to make them have a nap beforehand, and I don't know how that, how well that's going to work. We're going to wake them up and take them to, to this uh, concert and uh, just uh, hop them up on sugar and, and soda. And, yeah, I was going to say uh, caffeine. I think stimulants are the answer, Ben. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. Um, so anyway, I'm looking. I'm really excited. I'm excited. I'm excited to take them to uh, you know their their first. I'm I'm like the coolest dad in the world. Um, you are and pretty I, cool. 
I'm I'm super cool, and so I'm going to take him to a rock and roll show. Excellent, excellent. Yeah. So so anyway, that's uh, that's that. So Jack is it. Uh, go check out Sloan, uh, <laughs> and uh, and let's talk about food safety. Absolutely. Hey, so I want to I want to do some listener uh, feedback. Oh, perfect. Because I, because I'm uh, I'm organized. Um. So. Uh, uh, this is, says, uh, please share all details freely, but, uh, but we'll just say a uh, listener, uh, Daniel, he says, uh, he writes in, he says, I just wanted to write a quick message to say that I'm a new listener and loving the podcast. Uh, I wanted to share how I discovered you guys since you like hearing from your listeners. Back in April, I graduated um, with a degree in microbiology and hope to go on to do research in the medical field. I didn't make it into any graduate programs and I found myself needing to find work. Stumbled across a quality control job at a food manufacturer, began working there, uh, happy to be using my micro degree doing lab work, uh, played a role in the food safety risk assessment side of things. After a few months, uh, Daniel writes that he really uh, decided he really liked this kind of work and he wanted to make a career out of it. And he, and he thought, logically, as, as so many kids do today, how can I get more involved in this food safety world? <laughs> um, I will Google food safety podcasts. <laughs> so, yes. yes. Awesome, Daniel. That is what all the kids are doing. All the cool kids are doing this. Um, and, he, and he says, of course, I found your podcast <laughs> because we're one of the only games in town, at least one of the only uh, good good podcasts in town. Uh, he, he says, he says uh, you guys are hilarious and insightful. So thank you. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, he said, uh, you've made me excited to start my career uh, in food safety, reaffirmed that this is what I want to do, uh, listening in reverse chronological order, uh, which means that he gets to hear all of our references um, uh, before. Before he learns where they came from. So, uh, uh, Daniel, that one's for you. There's service bells all over the place. Uh, that was cool. Thank you, Daniel, for, uh, for sharing that with us. And it's, um, yeah, like, like you said, Don, it's always exciting to hear. We, we just talk into the ether and, uh, it's, it's super cool, um, to hear that, that we might be making a small little impact with, um, with it individuals and on their work day and they try to learn new stuff about food safety and it puts the pressure on us because we better be correct and and good or uh or we'll we'll be steering people in the wrong direction so that's that's super cool excellent and i also i have another piece of feedback and this also includes a question okay and so this is something that was uh so so uh there's a bunch of different ways to leave us feedback and this particular one was a, a comment um on our uh uh, our webpage. So um, again, there's a variety of ways to leave feedback, but this one comes from uh, listener Julian, who says, I'm a longtime listener. Thank you for providing entertaining hours, uh, learning both about technology and food safety. And, uh, and Julian shares that he uh, uh, has a, a microphone and is using Dragon Dictate. So that, that's awesome. Uh, glad, glad to hear our software recommendations are helpful. Um, he said, uh, one thing I wish you talked to one thing I wish you talked about is kinetic energy and why you can cook a whole muscle roast in an Alto Sham oven, that's A-L-T-O-S-H-A-A-M oven, at 130 for 121 minutes. I understand that time temperature is important, but I can't explain why. I'm sure that it depends and it can be complicated. Thank you, Julian. Uh, you just gave a secret knock. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, I took that as a compliment. Kate, <laughs> as a compliment, yes, absolutely. Um, uh, because what happens if the muscle is blade tenderized? And of course, I wrote back. Uh, I said, "Thanks, Julian. The only thing I love more than uh, the USDA uh, cooking guidelines in Appendix A are the cooling guidelines in Appendix B." Uh, I will add your question to the discussion topic. So I did not know, Ben, what an Alto Sham oven is. Um, had you ever oh, heard yeah. of that? 
Is that a, a yeah, yeah, yeah. you know about? Yeah. Oh, I figured you might. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, yeah, these are these these are my people. Um they're like super super uh flexible cooking things where you can set lots of different time temperature and humidity and use it for holding, you can use it for cooking. Um they're uh, really they're not cheap um pieces of equipment but but in many institutions actually I w- we were touring um uh, one of the NC State uh, cafeterias uh, a couple of weeks ago, and they had um, a set of three of them uh, that they use for catering. So, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm familiar with the Alto Sham. Yeah. So, um, so, so yeah. So, so, do you want to take a, a crack at uh, Julian's question, or do you want me to start, or or how would you like to do this? Why don't you go? Why don't you go ahead and okay. start? Because I've got some stuff. But yeah, you go ahead. All right. So uh, as uh, as I, I recognized, I was proud that I recognized uh, exactly where uh, Julian's numbers were coming from. And in the in the show notes, we will link to USDA FSIS Appendix A, which is the uh, compliance guidelines for meeting uh, lethality performance standards for certain meat and poultry products. I, I love uh, I love the way USDA names things. Uh, that is the the title of Appendix A. <clears throat> and if you look. At Appendix A, the very first line uh, says 130 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, 54.4 degrees centigrade, um, 6.5 log 10 lethality, 121 minutes, 7 log lethality at 120 – sorry, uh, 6.5 log lethality – 112 minutes, 7 logs, 121. And so where this comes from is it comes from – uh, basically, uh, well, yeah, this, so, so it turns out it's, it, it's complicated and it depends. Well, well, well played Julian. Um, uh, so the, 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 the relationship between all of these numbers comes from, uh, assumptions about D and Z values for pathogens. And so, although I, I don't, I don't think the, uh, the document mentions D and Z values, but just, uh, again, for, for, uh, many of our listeners, I'm sure know this, but for those that don't, uh, D, uh, capital D stands for decimal reduction time. And that is the amount of time required for a one log reduction in the level of microorganisms. So you go from a hundred organisms down to 10 or a thousand down to 100. Okay. So that is the, the, the D value. And that can be ever for any organism that you that you care about, for you know Clostridium botulinum spores or or Salmonella or E. coli in in meat and poultry. And then the Z value, and the Z value tells you how many degrees you need to change to produce a one log change in the D value. So in other words, to, if the D value is one minute, the Z value will tell you how much you need to change the temperature for that to go from one minute to ten minute or from one minute to point one minutes. And so. But all of that assumes a specific pathogen, and it also assumes a specific matrix. And so the D value in um, beef may be uh, different than the D value in poultry, may be different, certainly very different than the D value in peanut butter, uh, for example. And so these uh, – but here's the thing. You still have to come back to, well, where did you decide on 6.5 logs or 7 logs, right? And so those numbers depend upon – essentially risk management decisions about what's the likely level, uh, the, the concentration and prevalence of the pathogen in the product to begin with, 
and then also what level of risk are you looking for in the finished product. And so, um, so, uh, so basically, the, if you if you look at that Appendix A and you and you make some plots, you can you can kind of figure out it it very much changes in a nonlinear way. And so, as the temperature rises, the uh, the time for that lethality, whether it's six point five logs or seven logs. Um, changes uh, non-linearly with that linear increase in temperature. And then finally, <clears throat> at the very high end, you end up with a fraction of a second or even zero, it's zero seconds, um, but it's zero seconds with a double asterisk, which says that the required lethalities are achieved instantly when the internal temperature of a cooked meat product reaches 158 or above. Um, actually, um, I, I was doing I was doing some calculations for a consulting assignment a, a, a little while back, and what I discovered is actually I don't agree with those numbers. Right? Like if you actually look at um, the way those numbers work, um, and you actually do the calculations. Uh, they assume zero seconds, but but in fact, it's it, it if you look if you just made a st straightforward linear or, or log linear interpolation, that zero seconds is not correct. Now, what the agency in choosing that, uh, and again, this is specifically for large cuts of meat where the temperature is is sort of changing. Uh, it's not like a, a patty or something where the temperature might change very quickly. In these large cuts of meat, you have carryover and you have that thermal energy continuing to, to move through the product. And so they made the, the assumption or they made the, the, the inference in, in these calculations that, in fact, it, it essentially corresponds to zero seconds. Although, like I said, if you actually go and do the math, what you discover is it's not, it's not zero seconds. It's some number greater than zero seconds. But anyway, so that's my, that's my long preamble to Appendix A and, and my attempt to answer uh, Julian's question about, uh, uh, about how, that, how that all works. Basically, it comes down to uh, risk assumptions and D values and Z values. Right, right, right. Good. Um, so we, you missed part of his question, which was, does this change at all with mechanically tenderized meats or those that might have some pathogens pushed inside? And I um, believe from my uh, well-versed uh, uh, study of mechanically tenderized uh, meats, uh, well, I, I say that facetiously, really from my time that I spent with John Lachansky and Anna Portafet at USDA ARS, which is quite a bit. We, we work on a bunch of projects together that um, as it relates to cuts of meat, it doesn't, it doesn't change. Um, the, these uh, numbers are cooked beef and roast beef, including sectioned and formed roasts. Uh, chunked and formed roasts, um, and you know, so essentially saying, um, if if pathogens have been placed internally, since we are measuring the internal uh, temperature here, we will um, we it, it will um, uh, provide the same um, destruction, the same log log destruction at, at times, regardless of of what this type of roasting meat is, and so that. Um, yeah, that's the, I think that's the way that, uh, that that I would answer and interpret that. Yes, absolutely. So uh, it's in other words, <clears throat> these are already again talk about risk management. These are already conservative assumptions. They already assume that there are essentially what these what these calculations are assuming is that there is a seven log concentration of pathogens, or there's a, there's a high concentration of pathogens at that cold point where you are measuring that temperature, and so that at that 
point in that mechanically tenderized piece of meat, there is a seven log reduction um, at that internal point. And again, if you're cooking whole muscle, uh, which should be sterile on the inside uh, or mostly sterile, uh, the risk is much, much less. But these are, these are conservative, uh, fail-safe um, uh, assumptions. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and so um, some of the stuff that um, the Don is, or Don that John has done is looking at uh, commercial prime rib uh, preparation methods, looking at salmonella. Um, you know, so with a lot of these uh, th- these types of foods, as Julian brings up, it's some stuff that we haven't. You know, not I, I wouldn't say it's a relatively new technique. It's a technique that's expanding, um, and we didn't have a lot of data because we were looking at just whole whole muscle. And and so essentially, um, what what John and Anna show with a lot of their work is, um, yeah, the the temperatures are 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 the same. They're in line with it, um, it, it because they're assuming that it was uh, that it isn't non-intact cut for these for these time temperature combinations already um so yeah interesting uh, interesting stuff i like that uh like that that piece of feedback um we also uh, uh had uh, a, a, a a short text exchange uh with our friend uh, michelle danilock who makes an appearance on almost every show uh by name and uh and so you and I, in the last episode, talked uh, about flooding because uh, we uh, we had some pretty substantial flooding here in North Carolina and just a lot of questions that I was getting around, um, you know, flooding and returning home and what to do in a flood. And, and Michelle pointed out uh, via text that um, – uh, the pro, the produce safety rule as part of FISMA uh, does give a bunch of references related to produce flooding, and it differentiates explicitly between overflow water, so surface water overflowing banks, and just rainfall uh, pooling, where overflow is considered to be adulterated water. Um, and uh, reading straight from her excellent texts, uh, rainfall pooling, if it touches the crop, probably wouldn't be harvested. Uh, if it touched the covered crop... Uh, because of quality, but it's not considered adulterated. Um, and and I'll, I'll, my my piece of follow up uh, to this is actually on Monday this week. Um, I uh, I spent um, most of the day uh, in um, uh, uh, I can't remember. I think it's Wayne County, North Carolina. Uh, yeah, Wayne County in uh, around Goldsboro, where um, there was uh, an immense amount of flooding. Uh, I, I went to. Uh, three houses in a in a development where the, the water uh, had reached over 15 feet, um, and saw uh, two of the houses were uh, being ripped out. The you know all the drywall um, flooring uh, really being ripped out right down to the studs. Um, and uh, one of the homes was not. They weren't. They were unsure whether they were going to rebuild it fully, and so they haven't um, ripped it ripped anything down. But I was there um, to to do some video uh, recording um, about returning to, to to someone's home, and uh, it, and it was you know I, I went through and just the, the types of things that you don't like that you don't think about until you see um, the living room of one of the homes was just full of uh, dishware. 
and um, you know cooking utensils and, and eating utensils and um, you know certain things like all the glass stuff they were following the USDA guidelines of cleaning and sanitizing that material with um, you know about a tablespoon pretty high concentration tablespoon of, of bleach uh, in a gallon of potable water but then you look at something like a mixer like a stand mixer like a KitchenAid mixer and in the amount of silt and really adulterated water that, that touched that, um, that it was immersed in for, um, you know, about three days. Uh, and just the intricacy of trying to remove that dried, adulterated water from the housing, from where the paddles or the, the, uh, the mixer um, whisks uh, are attached to the, to the um, um, you know, the spinning mechanism motor um and and as as i loosen one of the paddles like all the just crap that fell out of like literally crap probably that that fell out of that that mixer you you look at that where the homeowner you know says okay i have some i have a lot of insurance but there are certain things that that it's you know my insurance isn't going to cover all of the material that i have in here so what can i salvage and what can i and it was just a very like you know, when you talk about it in the, in, in the theoretical, you're like, oh, well, clean and sanitize all your stuff. And then when you go to someone's living room and you see like 20 baking sheets and, and um, just a stack of bowls, like old porcelain bowls that have cracks in them and, and them talking about, well, if the water was adulterated, is there a way, like, could we have some chemical contaminant? Did it, does it get sucked in? Is this porcelain now that it's broken glaze? Is it porous? Like, I mean, all of these real um tough kind of questions um, made it made it come back to, um, you know, something that, that you get kind of emotional about when you see, you know, I went to three houses and there's probably four or five thousand houses in the state that are dealing with that exact same situation. So anyway, that's my follow up from floods. And thanks, Michelle, for um, clarifying around the produce rule as it relates to to crops as well. Yeah, and this 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 was was a, a good time for follow up because we have uh, a bunch more follow up from other people as well, um, which I will just uh, briefly share here. Um, uh, we got a message from uh, Chuck Haas, who is a, a colleague uh, at Drexel, who does uh, risk assessment, microbial risk assessment, and he writes. He says I'm about a month behind. Uh, but I was just listening to episode 109, and I see you guys had a discussion about code and data transparency. And he he says that he has a perspective um, uh, on this getting that's going to be published in Risk Analysis. And he he was kind enough to send a copy. It looks like I've been searching uh, the internet here. <clears throat> trying to find it and it looks like uh it it is not uh yet uh published um but so we so there's nothing to link to um but basically look for an article a perspective coming in the journal risk analysis entitled reproducible risk assessment by uh by charles haas from uh, from drexel um if you're into the into the risk modeling uh side of things uh really some 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 interesting thoughts from from chuck on on the importance of uh when you do risk assessment trying to uh trying to do that uh, in as uh, reproducible and as clear a way as possible. So, um, and then finally, um, I think finally, I'm not sure if it's finally, but, but one other, one other comment, um, which I want to share with you and with our listeners, um, 
So uh, we have uh, an email from Keith who says, I've been listening to your podcast since the Roderick episode. So that, that's fantastic. Uh, glad, to, glad to have you join us, uh, Keith, and, and joining us uh, when, when John was on the episode was, was, was probably a great way to start. Um, he says, uh, have you ever commented on Soylent? And uh, he links to, of course he does because he's a, he's a nerd uh, who likes John Roderick. He links to an Ars Technica article um, on uh, illnesses from Soylent. And I don't remember, have we, have we talked about people? People uh, getting stomach upset from from Soylent before on the podcast? I don't. I don't think we have. Um, not not that I can remember. And uh, let's see. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to Google food safety talk to- Soylent. <laughs> I, yeah. Anyway, we're going to talk about it now because there's more. There's new stuff. Right. Um, so yeah. No, I, I don't think we. I don't think we have. Um, but uh, even even after, so Keith sent that message on uh, on October twenty eighth, and um, there was some, I guess, more um, breaking kind of um, news as it relates to Soylent uh, yesterday or the day before. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, and in that, um, so I'm, I'll link to this this part. So anyway, just, um, a bunch of people got sick from eating Soylent or, or drinking Soylent, um, and, which was a um, a meal replacement um, that uh, is all plant based and uh, had you know had been really been marketed um, to I don't know to folks that are in, it's not like Boost or Insure where where it's like you, if you're uh, a meal replacement uh, for for medical reasons, but it's a meal replacement for utopian and sustainable reasons i don't know don what do you what's your like what am i what's your background on soylent well so yeah let me give you my perspective on soylent so this is something that is very big in the the nerd community and in the programmer community and in fact originally the soylent was was again and 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 my uh, my both of my my sons have actually talked to me about it and uh, my advice to anyone that wants to uh, eat a uh, uh, have a diet that is based on a single food, uh, my recommendation is don't do that. That's a bad idea. Um, and so the original idea of Soylent was just uh, not even to sell product, but just to hack together this recipe of, right. uh, that would be like kind of like the the special K or the total breakfast cereal of 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 something that would be like a complete nutritional thing. Like like if you're if you're a hardworking nerd and you don't want to take time out to eat, you can just just basically make this soil and stuff, and then uh, you don't have to eat anymore. You can just uh, uh, drink this this thing or eat this thing, and 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 it'll be fine. It'll take care of all your nutritional needs, et cetera, et cetera. And which again. One of the things that you know we, we learn in food science is that like that's just that's a really bad idea because it assumes it, it's kind of it's kind of um, what's the right word it's 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 arrogant to think that you understand food so well uh, that you can just make a pill or make a powder that supplies all the nutritional needs and it also kind of um, makes the assumption that you would even want to eat that for a long period of time, right? Um, uh, but but also, what about micronutrients? And and what about? I mean, you know, we we know humans have evolved to eat food, and so probably we should eat food um, rather than uh, like uh, uh, components extracted from food. Um, so yeah, and 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 apparently um, there are some people at least that are that react uh, in a way that uh, where they become violently ill uh, when when they uh, when when they consume soylent. And the the latest uh, the Barf blog uh, post that we will link to from uh, uh, November 9th is a post 
from Doug uh, with the headline uh, from seaweed to algae, Soylent blames flour for making customers violently ill. Um, yeah, I, I just think, I mean, yeah, if you, if you want to have a supplement, that's great. Um, I would be a little bit careful about um, getting a supplement from a company that maybe doesn't really quite understand food or food science. Um, yeah, so, you know, it turns out, Ben, I don't know if you know this, but making food is complicated. Um, it is. And it you, depends. You, you do have to, yeah, yeah, and you have to kind of be careful uh, about what you're doing and uh, be careful about allergens and be careful about ingredients. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's not as easy as it looks. No. So, it, it, so you bring up some stuff. I actually got, um, I got called by Bloomberg on this while I was in, uh, Dubai. Yeah. Um, not, not Michael, but the company that Michael owns. Um, and, uh, and so the conversation, um, with, uh, Olivia, Olivia Zaleski, who's the, um, who kind of broke this news in Bloomberg, um, said that, you know, she, she contacted me and said, look, here's the deal. Um, uh, Soylent thinks that a ingredient change in their formulation from Soylent to Soylent 2.0, uh, this uh, algal flour, is it, that's the only thing that they that they have seen that's different. And so they they think it's this. They think that there are some intolerances uh, the, you know, uh, to this um, to this type of flour. What can you tell me about? Um, you know, intolerances. And, and I was like, well, so we, we talked a about a lot of different things about onset of illness or onset of symptoms, at least after consumption. And, and so most of the stuff as you can see in article that we'll, that we'll link to. And, and if you're following this, this Soylent discussion, um, it, you know, the onset of illness was quite, quite quick. Um, you know, four, two, four, six hours. So in our world of food microbiology and, and food safety related to, uh, to pathogens, you know, you're looking at a toxin, right? Like it's some um, either a biological toxin or a chemical toxin, um, whatever, whatever, something, something there, and or like a, another type of reaction. Um, and, and so we got into this conversation. You know, Olivia was was great. We um, we we talked for about an hour uh, about this, and and you know, as it happens with with journalists, and, and Don, you've got experience with this as well. Sometimes when you say something, they're like, "Well, okay, can we not use the word toxin because we don't think that our readers will will like that?" And I was like, oh, "Okay, well, what word would you prefer to use?" And she's like, "What if we call it an allergen?" And I was like, "Well, but it's not, not an, an allergen. allergen, right? Words have yeah. meanings, Ben. And, they they, they right, mean right. things. Words mean things. Words have meanings. <laughs> yeah." And so she's like, uh, "Okay," and then she. Two or three times, it was like it was kind of a cool conversation. She's like, "I really appreciate you pushing back on what I was going to use because I want to get this right." And I'm like, "Good, that's my job. Um, I want to make sure you're right. And if my name is going to go in it, I want to make sure I also have credibility within my little field of food nerds as well." Right. And so, so, so anyway, I was like, "Well, what if we called it a, a chemical compound?" And that makes people sick. And she's like, ah, compounds better. Um, so, so anyway, um, she, uh, uh, let me see what she, um, she talked about, she actually cut my quote as it relates to talk. <laughs> I, see, I see that you talked for uh, an hour. Wait, I, we have to, we, this is important for anybody out there who is considering working with the news media. This is really important. Okay. Um, you talked to her for an hour and the, and what appeared in the story is the following phrase. Don't worry, folks. It's not going to take an hour for me to say this. When new formulations are made, you run the risk of adverse effects, especially if the new ingredient is not widely used, Chapman said. 
Yep. That Congratulations. was one, one hour, one hour of education and, and communication. And that's what she used, which, you know, again, yeah. that's the game, right? It's all in the game, yo. Uh, it, it is. It's all in the game. And, and, and that I'll tell you the, um, D- Doug instilled a lot of this, um, in, into me as it relates to media work. And, and basically, um, and you know, there, there's, there's a, there's a bunch of us that, that in, in our food safety world that, that talk to media and, and you can tell in, in that hour long conversation, I, I, I changed the tone or focus of what her, ta- what, where her article was a little bit, right. like slightly. And, and you right. can and that, see and that. that. And, and oh, but see, here's the thing. You are the only one that knows that, right? Correct. Because you know where she came in. You know where she left in terms of the conversation. We don't have the case control study with the article before she talked to you and nope. the article after she talked to you. But you're right. And that's and that's part of why we do it, right, is, is, is we're educators, right? And, and now, hopefully, when she writes stories in the future, she's going to take that knowledge with her and she'll write better stories. Right, right. Or ask better questions. Yeah. Oh, not and and uh, this is not a knock on on Olivia. She asked some really good questions, um, but but it was you know. I don't, you, you I don't think she listens, Ben. I don't. She might. She might. We're we, we're tired. Hey, she, hey, I hey, talked Olivia, to her for if you're listening. If you're listening, hey, thanks for listening. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, you know, it was it was pretty. Uh, anyway, um, I what the conversation went was, she's like, so they changed the formulation. Is is algal wheat making people sick? Or flour making people sick, not wheat, algal flour, and and I said I don't know. I mean that that it seems like a really good uh, management move by them to say here's the one thing that we changed and now we have illnesses. It might be this, um, but it's you know we, I don't have any data that shows that that's what it was. And then so she said, okay, well without that, what would it be within that? Um, algal wheat and I was, or algal flour. And I was like, I, I don't know. And I actually said, I was like, you probably need to talk to a toxicologist. Um, she's like, no, no, you're the right person to talk to on this. Cause you're on the phone with me. Um, and I don't have to chase somebody else down, but, but you know, all of this stuff. And, and I appreciate this, um, question from Keith that allowed me to talk about this. Um, it is, you know, we, when we have new types of foods, new types of ingredients, um, we're always going to run the risk that, that there's some food intolerance or food allergy or food reaction or whatever it is because we just as a um, as a population, as a consuming population, we haven't been exposed to it before. Um, and is this uh, – yeah, you know, and so, so our, our conversation, Olivia and I, she said, oh, so it's just like soy and gluten. And I'm like, no, that's a whole other story. You know, soy, soy is a, a – uh, soy protein is a protein that um, that we that we uh, humans have eaten for a long time. Wheat is something that we've eaten for a long time. Algal flour, maybe not. Um, yeah. We all we also talked about not just the component of the food, but how like what's the process. So maybe it's got nothing to do with algal flour itself, but putting into the interactions in soylent and however they. Um, you know, I, I assume based on how I see that you you buy soylent, which is in a looks like it's high pressure processed, probably or heat treated somehow. Maybe it's something in that process that changes the um, the makeup of that, or or something in the algal flour. There's some interaction, so it's not it, it's not just ingredients. Like that was my point to her was. It might be the ingredient, but it might be the process, and it's a. It could be a combination of both those things, the process and the ingredient. 
Exactly right. Exactly right. And and here, as you rightly made the point, humans we don't eat a lot of algae, um, generally speaking, right? And so, uh, yeah, it's not surprising if you add an ingredient that is not widely consumed, um, you're gonna guess what? You're gonna find people, some people that have an allergic reaction to this, and uh, and yeah, and and again, again, good for them. I mean, they're 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 thinking, they're trying to uh, they're trying to make some changes, and that's good. But you know, again, f- making food is is actually hard. It's not as easy as it looks. Right, right. And not all, like, oh, Don, don't get me started on that. <laughs> because not only is it hard, it's it's like, and, and, and this is going to give me a segue into something that I'm doing next week. Um, I, uh, one of the things that, that's come up um, uh, continuously, and I say continuously not to be trite, but I mean like every week I get a question about this from someone who has a facility, meaning a kitchen, maybe in a church, maybe in an extension office, maybe in an old school, and they have a facility and someone's donated some um, some equipment, and what they want to do with that facility is make it into a processing plant. They don't see it as a processing plant. They see it as well, someone's going to come in here and make relish, um, but, but you and I know and we know from the regulatory side of things it doesn't matter it's still a processing plant your food processing it's not it's not it's not it's not easy to do it's not for everyone there are steps that need to be taken there there are regulations that um that, that are in place to protect public health that have to be followed it's not just as you know you might be really good at um at making uh, sweet potato pie and you know that because once a year when you make it uh, for Thanksgiving, everyone is like, man, oh, man, that's the greatest sweet potato pie I've ever eaten. But when you want to turn that into a business and you have to make 600 sweet potato pies a, a week, you're not in the same kind of realm. And, and, and it, it, this, the Soylent stuff, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that they are um, uh, uh, not taking um, food processing um, seriously, I think I think that's exactly what they're doing. It, it's just that the more you scratch the surface on what it takes to be a food processor and to make things safe and to make things of high quality, it's not it's not something that that you know someone just sort of wakes up one day and is like, yeah, I'm going to start making 600 sweet potato pies a week. Um, it, it takes uh, resources and it takes knowledge and 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 trial and error and things go wrong. And it is the world of food. It's not easy. It is hard to do. I just drop my mic. You know, uh, you know what would make uh, would make making food more fun? <laughs> um, is this is this a make is this a hashtag make food great again? No, no. Actually, it's it's just, it's my attempt to segue to I think what I think now is actually the last piece of listener feedback. Oh my gosh! Let's do it. Um, <laughs> it, it you know what would make food more fun, Ben? Oh, a fun conversation piece. Yes, a fun conversation piece about dogs. Dogs make dogs everything more fun. Stars. So, yeah. uh, so this is from uh, from uh, Twitter listener Luis Ramirez, uh, whose Twitter handle is Arte de Luis, um, and we'll we'll find attempt to navigate Twitter and link to his actual thing. Um, so he uh, so the the, the 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 version of this thing that I shared does not have the photograph, but basically uh, he says a fun conversation piece for the next podcast. Dogs at grocery stores that prepare foods 
And uh, he says, and yes, I photographed this lady and her dog in a non-discreet way. No shame. Um, and uh, I write back, imagining the next scene where she stomps over to you, rips your phone from your hand and smashes it. And of course, what, did, what does not show up in the, in the copy of his tweet that I saved is the actual photograph of the lady with the dog. So, and I know we've kind of touched on this in past episodes. And, and, my, and part of what I, what I said to Louise, too, is I have noticed more dogs in public places in where they shouldn't be. Like, I think I saw somebody bring their dog into Starbucks the other day. And, and I mean, you know, I, I love dogs. We have uh, like one and a half dogs that live at our <laughs> well, house right now. Um, I have but, a dog. I've, I've, there's a dog who's my friend. Yes. Yeah, I know. There's a, like one of my, one of my, sisters, one of my best uh, friends is a dog. One, one of my best friends is a dog. I've got, there's one who comes to Thanksgiving every year. Oh, that's yes. Yes. Um, so, and you know, and again, let's, uh, so, you know, let's think about this from a risk based perspective. Okay. You know, like dogs, uh, have germs, but you know, people have germs and we, we let people into places that where we prepare food, um, yes. you know, um, and uh, I don't know, uh, you know, and, and I guess we can. We I'm I'm sure Snopes has a comment on on the the statement about whether how how dirty a dog's mouth is, and you know, is the is the, is your mouth is a dog's mouth cleaner than your mouth, and you know, and again, we can we can get into the the popular culture weeds on this, but here's the thing. Um, I I like dogs, and I think we should have more dogs around us. And I I don't know how to feel about this, Ben. I certainly I certainly don't want like a, a whole lot of dogs in the kitchen where they're preparing my food. But you know, let me go out on a limb and say I think it, although it might violate the regulations, I I might be totally okay with uh, somebody bringing their dog into Starbucks, uh, not not back behind the counter, but out in front. Um, I might be totally okay with that. Um, I certainly don't think they should be peeing and pooping there. Um, but you know, people, people bring babies in diapers that might like, you know, again, we're not putting diapers on dogs, but I mean, I, I, you can tell Ben, I'm trying, uh, like I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to be open-minded about this and I'm not sure. I mean, I understand the theoretical risk. I'm not sure I see the actual risk. So uh, uh. what, what are your thoughts on dogs and food, Ben? Same, okay. same all, all the same, all the same, Don. Um, I want to point out, we have to link to Luis's tweet because the picture, I've just retexted it to you. The, the non-discreet picture that, he's, that he took of the individual is amazing, mainly because um, it, it, it looks like it's a grocery store. It looks like I could identify this grocery store. I think this is Whole Foods. Mm-hmm. Um, of course and, it is. Yeah. And yeah, well, uh, not only can I identify it, it's on the shopping cart. <laughs> and. And, and and the woman that Luis took the picture of is looking directly at his camera <laughs> as he takes the picture. And so is the dog. I mean, for, <laughs> yes. Which is which is great. It's one of the greatest pictures of all time. And we see that Luis was eating his hummus um, or some some uh, item, maybe some some hummus and carrot sticks. Uh, uh, so I, I, I I'll, let me let me weigh in on this um, in in a couple of different ways. Uh, soon after I came to North Carolina, um, there was a big discussion about dogs on patios. And dogs on patios at uh, at restaurants um, in in different jurisdictions. So. And it was a um, an interpretation of our old food code where in Durham County, it was disallowed. Could not have a dog on a patio. You'd have a dog tied up outside of a patio. But gosh, if that dog stepped maybe three inches uh, to the right and came onto the patio, now we are losing two points on our inspection. Um, and in Wake County, 
uh, where I live, where uh, you could have dogs on patios. We, Don, we're under the same state rule. Uh, that's based on that one was based on like the uh, you know Unicode from 1973, but um, you know with addendums as it related to pets, and and I was asked to weigh in on this uh, both um, privately, I, you know, on the with the regulators, and then again interviewed about it, um, and and I I have the exact same uh, approach that that you do that yes, it's a regulation. No, I can't really point to why that regulation exists um, as it relates to non-food contact surfaces or non-food um, you know, uh, preparation areas. Um, we, not only do people who carry pathogens go into those areas, but so do their shoes, which we don't, we don't require people to have a foot bath. Um, and, and, you know, the, the threat of a dog... Uh, pooping in a food area is probably, and I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna make an assumption here. It's probably about the same threat of a person pooping in that uh, same food prep area, and I say that with two. Um, <laughs> I will back that up with two uh, yeah, anecdotes um, that both involve people pooping in their pants. One, uh, a friend of mine in high school used to work in a hardware store, and one day he came <laughs> to class. to say, a friend of yours from high school used to poop in their pants. No, no, no. But, 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 but just wait for the second story, Don. Okay. Um, so the first one is this, this guy. Uh, um, um, my, my friend worked in a hardware store, and there was a man who used to go to this hardware store um, uh, often who would um, – like uh, you know, would would be known to like shake something out of his pants, like out of the leg of his oh. pants, and, and and guess what it was, Don? It wasn't uh, it, it, it wasn't a unicorn. Oh. It was a it was a magical little poop nugget, oh, and God. and then the people in the hardware store have to go pick it up. And so oh. I so it, right so there's one. Number yeah. two is like I played baseball with a guy who um uh, who ran to first base. And as he came back to the bench, he said, I think I just pooped my pants and not, he didn't use those words. Um, and, and we were like, ah, yeah, that's, that's really funny. And he goes, no, no, for, for real. And, and he had, um, so uh. I, I have seen as many people in public or I know of them, uh, poop on, uh, in, in public as, as animals. So, uh, we don't outlaw the people. Um, we do outlaw the animals. I don't think it's very risky. Uh, I, I frequent a, uh, uh, a brewery that does that serves food that there are food trucks around uh and i take my dog and my dog goes with a bunch of other dogs and um it, it i think it's an old school uh look at um at risk or no it's an old school look at regulation not risk uh where we where we fall apart so to Luis's to Luis's comment, I don't know if this is what he was thinking we would say, but yeah, there's more dogs in in other places, and I I I don't think uh, based on um, the stuff that I know and that I've seen that it's uh, any riskier than having people there. Well, From a and food and, safety standpoint, yeah, I well I think dogs are more likely to uh, to poop not in a toilet than humans are, so I think there's a higher risk there. But I would say I don't have a problem. So let's say it's Whole Foods. Uh, I don't have a problem with people bringing their dogs into Whole Foods. I think that should be up to Whole Foods to make that decision. Absolutely. And, and if Whole Foods wants to have 
allow people to bring dogs in, they need to have a policy and they need to have a procedure, right? Because what we don't want is we don't want dogs pooping and peeing in Whole Foods and Whole Foods not doing anything about it. So, so I, I think, you know, Whole Foods should be allowed to invite the risk and as long as they can manage the risk. Uh, absolutely. And, and with, the, with the parameters of, okay, we don't want a dog in a food preparation area. For sure, right. But, but in, the, in the aisles, in the checkout, sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and go ahead. And it, what what makes Whole Foods any different from a farmers market, where where you would see dogs? Like if if you went to a farmers market in uh, in anywhere in any town in America, you can see someone walking around with a dog. Right, and, like you're talking and, about like uh, an outdoor farmers market with where yeah. it's dirt and uh, yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah, um, and, and, and we're probably I, I would say we're much more at risk of that dog biting us than we are of getting foodborne illness uh, pathogens from it. Yeah, especially if it's my dog. He's a son of a bitch. <laughs> oh, that bastard. Um, I, my dog uh, has, uh, speaking of uh, whether a dog's mouth is clean, I hope it is <laughs> because, cause, cause, like, yesterday I was sitting on the couch and my dog jumped up on the couch and, um, uh, you know, jumped on my lap, which is great. And I started petting him. And then he looked at me and he stuck his tongue in my mouth. <laughs> he likes you, man. I guess so. I guess so. So, and I thought, oh, well that, there you go. That happened. So don't do that anymore, dog. Um, yeah, well, yeah, we, so. we are, uh, we are, uh, uh, puppy sitting, uh, for a neighborhood dog, although she's, she's currently back with her, uh, her actual family. Um, but, but, uh, she very much likes to get right up in your face and, and lick you in the face and, and occasionally, uh, yeah, there's occasionally there's some tongue action. Yeah. And it's like, Hey, keep that tongue to yourself. <laughs> um, uh, so I think that's a show. I say that cause I have a heart out at three. Me too. Um, well, there you go. So it's uh, it's your birthday. What do you do? what? Can we end on this? What are you doing? You doing something special for your birthday? You gonna gonna go uh, uh, have a nice meal? Or are you gonna make a nice meal? What's, well, what's yeah, up? Chris, Kristen made a really nice pasta and chicken and broccoli dish last night, um, which we had, and so there's uh, she made a ton of it, so that we're gonna have leftovers. But um, she was asking me if I wanted to do anything special, and I was like, yeah, not really. Um, but I think one of the things I, I do want to do, and this I got uh, inspiration for this listening to that, that podcast uh, that I mentioned before, um, uh, because there is something called the uh, uh, Steve Jobs uh, Lost Interview, which is uh, basically uh, an interview that somebody did with Steve Jobs. They ended up using – it was for a documentary, Revenge of the Nerds, I think, and they ended up using like 10 minutes of the interview, but they actually talked to Steve Jobs for like an hour. So I think I might uh, – and that's on Netflix, and I think I might go try to find that and uh, my my, uh, my lovely long-suffering wife will will allow me to watch uh steve jobs on on television this afternoon this evening for for an hour while we have uh, have uh, her chicken pasta uh, uh leftovers so i think that's the plan so that nothing, awesome. nothing special nothing's just just hanging out actually my, the reason why i have the heart out is i got to go for my last uh, scheduled uh, shoulder PT um, uh, for uh, my torn rotator cuff, which was aggravated by the uh, aforementioned dog uh, incident uh, from, from earlier this summer, for those of you who are following along. So, uh, yeah, my shoulder's getting better, uh, but I, need, I probably need another round of PT. So I've got to go see the doctor and, and see if I can get that done. It's, um, it's your birthday, and you're going to party like it's your birthday. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, which basically means like I'm really not going to do anything because I'm I'm a boring person. But that's okay. I like being boring. 
Well, hey, it's you do you do you, Don. Uh, I like it. Uh, it was my uh, Sam, my, my youngest son's birthday on uh, Monday this week. Oh, and, happy birthday, Sam! Well, I, and he he's right back at it. Says right back at you. Happy birthday, Don! Um, and he uh, he wanted to go to Cheesecake Factory, so we did. <laughs> and I talked about that on the last uh, podcast about Drake and Cheesecake. So it was birthday. Yeah, we went to Cheesecake. I think that Louise Louise had that in his his tweets to us to do. Why you got to fight at Cheesecake? Why you got to fight with me at Cheesecake? Exactly. And so we got to Cheesecake Factory. We ordered our dinner. And he looked at me and goes, Dad, why you got to fight with me at Cheesecake? Uh, and I said, you're funny. You're funny. Yeah, kid. it's a funny kid. Funny kid. Oh, good job. All right. Well, hey, that's a show. Food Safety Talk um, number, what, 112? Yes. The Magic 112, 113, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. I, I made that reference yesterday in in my hockey dressing room, and then I looked at everyone because they didn't know what I was saying, and I said, come on, people, it's a Mr. Mom reference. Uh, all right, here we go. Uh, thanks, Don, and we'll uh, talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye. So two weeks from today is Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Unlike American unlikely, Thanksgiving, American thing, American Thanksgiving. American. I am, yeah. I my parents are coming, so I'm pretty much out of out of pocket, as they say. Is that what they out of? I don't know. I you uh, know people. I think that 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 is not the original meaning of out of pocket, but it has now become the meaning of out of pocket. So it's uh, one of those uh, sayings that has uh, the it literally changed. What it means has literally changed. It used to mean that it was out of your pocket. You've lost money in a transaction. But now it means uh, yes, the right. same thing. Uh, but, oh, where did the here, expressions, here we go, from 2012. Where did the unavailable meaning of out-of-pocket come from? Um, it's often used uh, to mean unavailable. I found a reference to this on the Internet. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, out of band. It's, uh, oh, we'll find out. Out of pocket. Here it is. There are three distinct meanings for out of pocket, Don. Ah, you know, this is there? from grammar phobia. Yeah. One, a fiscal law, out of fiscal loss. Mm-hmm. Two, behaving badly. According to the newest editions of Castle's Dictionary of Slang, out of pocket is a variation on the fa- phrase out of the pocket, a 1940s African-American expression referring to bad behavior or a bad situation. And three, it's unavailable.
Hmm. When I first came across this meeting in the early 1980s, I'm going to text you this so we can put it in the show notes. Um, when I first came across uh, this meeting in the 1980s, it was when I was staff editor of the New York Times. Reporters who had filed stories were supposed to supply phone numbers where they could be reached in case questions arose. If a reporter was reachable, uh, unreachable, say on a plane to Tibet, he or she was said to be out of pocket. The OED cites published references for this meeting dating back to 1946, wow. though it didn't become common until the 1970s. Hmm. Well, I, I only heard it in the 2000s, so how about that? I've, I've always used the uh, original definition uh, from the Oxford English Dictionary from 1679, uh, meaning uh, at a fiscal loss. At a fiscal loss. Um, so th- this this is kind of interesting, grammar phobia. Yeah. Uh, I, I might start following this. Um, I like it. So they also said, uh, um, I haven't found an answer to your question about the, why the third meeting evolved, meaning the unavailable that I used. I also haven't seen an explanation why we say out of pocket rather, rather than out of hat or glove mm. or whatever, when we're unavailable, but here's the possibility. There's an, insp- an expression to have someone in your ah. pocket, which means to have them under your control, perhaps by extension, if he's out of pocket, he's no longer under your, con- out of, under your control. But again, this is just speculation on my part. So there you go. Our next milestone is really like 500, right? <laughs> what, I went to, I, 125, one, I, 125, hey, 126, yeah, whatever it takes. Artif- <laughs> yeah, it's artificial. 200 maybe. Well, 125, it's like yeah. what, the sesquicentennial? Is yeah, that what we're talking yes, about exactly, there? Exactly, the sesquicentennial. Yeah, I can't wait for that. <laughs> I hope the tone of my voice was obvious. Uh, <laughs> That's that's fine. I just I, I want everybody to have some skin in the game. That's all. Uh, I, you got but, it. But you're you're it. you've got uh, you're 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 in the game. I'm in the game. It's it's a game, yo. Yo. <laughs> it's a game, yo. Uh, okay. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.